Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey friends, and welcome to another episode of the Happy Hour Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and welcome to September, you guys. I love September. It feels like we're getting into fall. Football season is underway. My kids have already had games. I've got my first Texas Longhorn game coming up this weekend, and it just feels right. It feels good. My kids are in school. It is fun. And today's show, man, talk about just feeling right. My friend Lisa Weddle joins me, and Lisa has been on the show before. She's a dear friend of mine in real life. And she's a new book coming out next week called The Hard Good, Showing Up for God to Work in You When You Want to Shut Down. And I'm telling you, I told Lisa on this show today is that this message that she has in here, first of all, her heart is all over it. But this is a message for all of us. This is all of us feeling these feelings of wanting to shut down and needing to show up for God to work in our lives, even when it's hard, because we know there's good at the end. And so we talk about that a lot. We dive into it. I do want to let you know, She's giving away her first chapter for free before her book releases. So you have time in the next couple of days to go check this out. Go to lisawittle.com slash good, and you can get the first chapter of this book and start reading that before it even releases next week. You're going to adore our conversation that we have today. Also, we have a separate conversation over on YouTube. So if you go to jamieivy.com slash YouTube, you can hear that where we talk about what does it mean to find our purpose? How's God going to use us? How do we look for that? It is really, really, really good. And the last thing I want to tell you before we jump into this conversation is you may have seen uh, recently on Instagram, and we've been talking about it here, we've been talking about it in the newsletter, is that I have a children's book that is being released in about a month, October 5th, God Made You to Be You. Uh, It's a book that comes out, and I am so proud of this book. I imagine kids and parents and grandmas and aunties and caregivers and preschool teachers reading this book to kids and reminding them that God made them with a purpose, that God made them who they are for a reason, and we can trust God with that. Oh, y'all, my heart could literally explode thinking about this book. So you can get it right now. You can pre-order it wherever you get books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere you get books. And if you want more information about it, plus you can check out what we're going to give you if you order it now. Go to jamieivy.com slash kids. That's jamieivy.com slash kids. When you pre-order it, we've got some coloring sheets that you can download for your kids. We have some coupon codes. It's just a really great way to support us and what we do here in this book. And then when the book comes out on October 5th, it shows up on your doorstep. It's just the greatest thing ever. So go to jamieivy.com slash kids. You guys, I'm excited about this conversation with my friend, Lisa Whittle. Here she is. Lisa Whittle, welcome to the happy hour. Thank you. Oh, I'm excited. So last time you were on, do you remember what year it was? Gosh, I don't. All the years run together right now. Well, I feel like we've had 17 years in the past At least. 18 months. At least. Uh, the last time you were on, though, we were discussing your book, Jesus Over Everything. And now here you are, and you have a new book out next week, The Hard Good. Yeah. Welcome to Austin. <laughs> Welcome to the studio. This is so exciting. It's fun to be with you in person. I feel like we're going way back because the first time we interviewed together was in person, mm-hmm. but not since. So this is exciting for me to sit across from my 
friend. So excited. Yeah. Well, um, introduce yourself to everyone who's listening. Gosh, Jamie, what do I even say? Married for, it'll be 26 years this Congratulations. Month. Thank you. Yes, I'll receive it because <laughs> that's a feat. <laughs> Three kids, one married, one, two in college, one I just dropped off at Baylor, the youngest. Sick on bears. Sick on bears. We have to say that. It's a big family. It's a whole thing, I've realized, Baylor. And you do have on your green today. So I I, do do see that you are now a Baylor Bears mom. I'm on brand. I'm on brand. But yeah, and been writing for a while, you know, speaking, podcasting, run an online community for people who want to write and speak. All of those kinds of things called creatives called creatives do it's min- not called creatives it is called <laughs> called creatives. that's exactly right there yeah you go. two two words yeah and mentor ministry people too you know it's been a long road well i'll tell you what i have been so thankful for you in my life mm-hmm. since we have known each other um you're just a friend who i can call and get the real deal like the real deal you you're an Enneagram 8. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You're going to say it like it is. Uh, yep. I had the joy this year of going to the ranch with you. Yes. My mom says hi, oh, by the way. Mimi. Mimi. She said to tell you hello. I love Mimi some Mimi. Yeah. And so it's just been a joy having you here. And I, I want to tell you, I actually, this morning, uh, I got to the office super early and I finished your book and I read the last couple pages and I cried. Mm. I think I cried for a couple reasons. Number one, I cried because you're my friend. Yeah. And this is a very, your heart bleeds all over this book. Yeah. Number two, I cried because I've been to the ranch. Mm-hmm. I've met your bonus dad, John. Yeah. I've ridden in the little car with him as he points out the deer and all the things. Yeah. And you go there at the end. And then, so the second reason is because I've, I've been there. And the third reason is because, man, just this book, The Hard Good, this is not just your story and this Mm -mm. is not just my story. This is like the story of life. Yeah. It is hard and it is good. And so this book comes out next week. I'm so proud of it, but I have, I want to talk about what you talk about in here. But the first thing I want you to say is you talk about hard and you talk about good. I think that no one could question how to define the word hard. Yep. Everyone right now is like, okay, I have 78 hard things today. Yes. And then I have 17 ginormous hard things. How do you define good? I love that you asked it exactly like that, Jamie. That is so proving that we're friends because no one has to define hard, but good is a different story. And that's why this book needed to end on the word good, that there's so much symbolism in that, that I don't want people to miss because good the way that culture has sort of defined good has messed with our minds a little bit Mm -hmm. you know it's even and in subtle ways too it's even in the way we compare our lives to someone else we say well I don't have the good life like they have right and so we live our lives in comparison we think we've done something wrong we are ridden by guilt and shame. We're sure we, we've we've missed this sort of ethereal map that we think is out there to finding our purpose mm-hmm. because we've missed it. Now, you know, we're like, oh, well, I just didn't get the memo or mm-hmm. I, I didn't find the map. And so I felt like it was really important from the beginning intro to say, let me just 
take you on this journey to say, this is what good actually is so that you know what we're ending on Mm. so that you know where we're going. Because if we don't know where we're going, if we don't know how this thing ends, then what we do is we live our lives in utter despair because we're like, all there is is hard. That's all I know. That's all it is. That's how it ends. And I'm my feelings make me feel that way. Sometimes I'm just being real. This world is so hard that sometimes I wake up in the morning. I'm like another hard day. Mm. God, I don't know if I can do it. But when I know what good is and that it ends on good, that's a different story. And I talk in the book about what good is, Mm -hmm. but things like this, Jamie, God being good, it's a part of his actual nature. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, oh, God is good and I'm attaching some like adjective to it. It's who he is. So things that draw us to him are good for us. And I know that's hard to wrap our brain around, but that's just one of the aspects of good that we have to redefine. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. And you walk through this whole book and you have these 10 different kind of, what would you call these? Like 10 different hard that turn into good? Or tell me how you're defining these. Well, these are, to me, 10 universally hard things that we either go through, they happen to us, or they're things even within our own character that are hard. But the reason why these 10 made the list, Jamie, is because one, they're universal. Uh Like in people, everyone that I've talked to, we're all dealing with these in some way. But also these are the things that are the ultimate character building, defining. Because some things that happen in our life are just hard. Mm. Not that God can't redeem them, but they're not the things that take us on the road to usability like these do. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's talk about usability. Yeah. Okay, so one of the things that you talk about is you talk about accepting what you wish, accepting something you wish were something different. Yeah. Golly, story of our lives. You say this, and you, you tell a whole example and a whole story here, and you say maybe this is, not, this is not your exact story, but you can relate to feeling you must let the need to know about something go. Mm. I need to know about this. You got to let it go. This is an important place of acceptance. It is a transformational moment in and of itself because in a strange twist, as we let something go, we unloose something that has gripped us. It's also a place we often get stuck. We want to, but we fight it all the way because it feels as if something holding the cards over our life has won. Let's talk about what it even means to walk through this hard stuff and accepting something that you just, could we not have just had a different ending here, God? Oh, a different story, a different path. Like sometimes I find myself saying, I could have thought of 18 different better ways for this to go. Yes. Than the one you've chosen, God. Yes. And the example that you talk about specifically, that was a real, I can't bypass this because that was a real moment, Jamie, that first of all, I didn't want to include in the book. It's something that I've never talked about publicly. And it was the rumor that my father, who was a pastor, had had an affair Like, I had to clear that story with my mom. She was like, well, some of dad's family may not know that that was a rumor. And so it was hard for me to tell that. I went to the Lord and I was like, is this even important? And the reason why I felt it was important in the end to include was because I know thousands upon thousands of people who do not know and have the information they wish they knew, mm. right? Like they don't have the they don't have the conclusion to a story. There's something that they have hanging in their mind, and they may never know it. Mm. And in some way, they feel like I don't know if I can live my life not knowing that information. And what I wanted people to know is, yes, you can. Mm. I'm living testimony of someone who will never fully know if my father had an affair. But I made a choice to say, today, 
I'm going to accept the not knowing Mm. that I'll never know. Probably I wasn't there. I've heard conflicting things. I will never know. And I'm going to choose to set myself free from the not knowing. Mm. And it was important, Jamie. It was so important. And I think there are so many of us, all of us to some degree, as you said, have something that we wish were something different. And I call it in that chapter, the stifling what ifs. And there's three that we center around. What if I, what if they, what if God? Mm. And it's like, what if I had done this differently? Or what if I hadn't done this? What if they had done this? And what if God had prevented that? What if God had opened that door? And we spend our life in that cycle and it stifles us. And so what was so important to me for people in that chapter, which people can even read that one for free because it's chapter one, is what I want people to move to is what now and what is, because it's a power move. It's a power move in the right direction because the stifling what ifs are honestly questions we will probably never have answers to. Yeah. So there's this idea that if we had those answers, we would be happier. Right. That's it. So how do we fight that? Because, I mean, I'm even sitting here going, yes, Lisa, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) And then stuff will pop into my mind. And I'll think, if I just knew that, though, I would be happier. How do we fight that lie? Well, I think there's a couple things. I think we have to think about the fact that there have been times we haven't gotten the information, have gotten the information and it hasn't made us happier. Yeah, so look at history. Right. So I think, listen, I'm a pragmatist. I'll be honest with you right now. I live my, that's why I believe in Jesus so much because practically I believe in, my faith informs me practically. Yeah. It's the same way with our life. I do think that so many times if we will just look at past history and say, well, when I did have the information, was I happier? Mm. Did that make a difference? Sure. In some cases, maybe we mm-hmm. had that moment of like, oh, okay. Yeah. But in the end, yeah, it didn't really change anything. It didn't really, because usually it's attached to some kind of wound or some kind of hard thing. It didn't redeem it in that way. The bottom line is it's freedom is what we want. Freedom mm-hmm. is what we're after to not be attached to that whatever happened. Yeah. And you can have that without the information is what I'm really trying to get across to someone who feels like they have to have it mm. and they have to know. So I don't really know that I can give a one, two, three steps because joy is one of those things and and, and all of that that, that you have to. Um, really come to a place with the Lord regardless. But that's what I want to say is don't live in that lie and in that space of I will be happier with the information. I think it is a lie. Because if you're taking your example, your story of not knowing this, I mean, imagine how that could affect you for the rest of your life in a negative way. You cannot control that. You cannot control the knowing. No. Your dad has passed away. That's the point, yes. I don't even know if we've mentioned that yet. No. I mean, that that's a valid point. Uh, right. Like, fact in this story. Right. So it's not even like you can call your daddy and ask him. Right. There's no knowing. And I think, Jamie, it's a lot of our thought process that we can control things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we think that, and I talk about this too in that chapter, that if we continue to push back on something that we refuse to accept, that somehow we still control it. And it's not true. Right. It, all it does is just keep us in this sort of like mental angst. And like, and 
listen, I write about everything that I've spent my whole life in research about because it's been me. It's been me. You know, that's why this book is so tender. Not because it's a story about me. That would be super boring and, you know, self-indulgent and all those things. I only use my life as an example because I'm a perfect example of someone who thought, wow, if I just push back on accepting this bonus dad into my life after I've been parented by this man that was my favorite person for 40 some years, I'll control this. Mm -hmm. I'll just refuse to accept it. Yeah. And all it did was eat me up inside. Mm. Yeah. Which is why you said you start this book with saying, um, I have been thinking about this book for almost 1,825 days, ever since my favorite person in the world got sick and died. That's when I started a journey of the hard good. Yeah. And that's how you start the book. And, you know, when you're talking about this bonus dad, John, of having to embrace that in the midst of the hard. Yeah. And that's your story, but I like what you're saying, that this is your story so much in here, but that's all of our stories. I mean, that is just all of us finding something that we're having to embrace, even when it feels really hard. All of us, whether it is a relationship, whether it is a a broken heart from a church situation, you know, whether it is a lost job situation, I mean... Hard is interesting because it's not a respecter of persons. It does not care. You know, I talk about my father when he died, when I watched my mother, who was married to him for 52 years, and most of them weren't easy, weep over his body when he was already gone and tell him things, Jamie. I knew till death do us part. But I realized this about death. Like we started this, I said, when, you know, when dad died, it started this acceptance clock. And what I realized about death is it doesn't care. It doesn't mm-hmm. care about like your, it, it doesn't care about how long you've invested in a relationship. It doesn't care about, you know, well, this, this is an inconvenient time or like, I don't know if my heart can handle it. It doesn't care about any of those things. And hard is that way for all of us, whatever the situation, whether it is a loss, which probably everyone listening has faced a loss yeah. or is facing yeah. one. Um, a loss of a job, a loss of a person they love, a loss of a church that they love, whatever. Hard doesn't care. Mm -hmm. It does not care. And so what I care about is the body of Christ. I care about people. And I care about saying like, do, do we just live in this constant state of a furnace of pain? Or can we go... God is good and he loves me. Mm-hmm. And I'm, if I'm going to live here, if I'm still here and I'm breathing, if they're listening, they are, then there is some good to be seen. There is something here for me and I can believe it and I can show up for my life, which doesn't mean I'm going to wear bells and whistles and right. all those things. But what does showing up for my life look like even in the midst of this pain? And really, that's the only reason to write this book. I love it. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. 
I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music. Just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. One of the things that you talked about, in fact, I knew you were going to talk about this in the book and I was so looking forward to talk, to reading it. The chapter called Cheering for Someone When They Get What You Want. Yeah. And also so relatable to everyone that's listening to us has yeah. had someone, they've had to watch someone get what they wanted. And, you know, you brought, when you talked about jealousy in here, you brought a personal story to the table of someone sending you an email and saying, okay, Lisa, like this is, I'm writing to say like, there's not enough room for all of us and easy for you to say, and this must be so easy. And, you know, I thought about that even this weekend, I saw Sadie Robertson post on Instagram and she said that someone had sent her a DM that said, I am unfollowing you now because of how quickly you've bounced back from having your baby. It's hard for me and my daughters to watch, hmm. you know, and I mean, I could tell you DM after DM after DM that have come into my inbox of like, I don't like seeing where your vacation, things like that. Yeah. And so this idea of cheering for someone when they get what you want, and every example I just gave you probably are strangers looking in on our lives. Mm -hmm. That's easier to manage. But when it's your people yeah, and you're cheering for them to get what you want, this is really, really hard, whether yeah. it's a job, whether it's a spouse, whether it is a promotion, whether it's a house. I mean, fill in the blank. Yes. How do we do this? Well, I think the first thing that's super important was to even just acknowledge that it's hard yeah because here's the thing jamie that i have realized over and over again in conversations with women they need someone to say we need someone to say i feel jealous sometimes mm -hmm. because what i've noticed i mean historically with the church and you know i love the church mm -hmm. so i say this with that heart there are a lot of things we haven't discipled people through well enough and instead have shamed or have said you shouldn't feel that way and for women one of the things that I think we've carried this burden and this yoke of is I shouldn't feel jealous mm -hmm. because I just need to cheer for people like it's on the to-do list mm -hmm. right but what do we do with those feelings because we do feel jealous sometimes listen when you have worked really hard and you watch someone beside you get a promotion, when you are always planning someone else's baby shower and you desperately want a child, I, the list could go on, For sure. right? That is real. 
That is hard. How do you do that? This is what I'll tell you from my own life because I have battled jealousy myself and still do sometimes. It's real mm-hmm. that I I have known again practically that jealousy has created a critical spirit in me. And that's what I see rise up anytime jealousy comes around. It's a, it's a critical spirit. So there's only one way to combat that, and that's to take the beast on. Mm. And any time that I have begun to feel jealous, I have decided to choose generosity. And it is a choice. It's a strategy. I'm going to tell the women right now, you have to have a strategy with this. Mm. If you think that you're just going to all of a sudden wake up one day and not feel jealous, I'm sorry, but it probably won't happen. It will not happen. (laughs) Please pray about it. But I'm just going to let you know, Mm -hmm. we are smart, awesome, God created women that can have a strategy to this. And I want us to implement and enact a strategy for this because we can. And I give an example in the book and we don't have time for the story, but I tell a story about when I tried this for the first time. So I need everybody to know, like, I've actually tried this. Right. And it wasn't because I was so precious or awesome. It was because really the Holy Spirit convicted me and said to me so clearly, I want you to go and do this thing. And not to make this nebulous so everyone's wondering what the story is. (laughs) I was basically speaking with a woman who I could tell was this really charismatic speaker. And I was going to follow her. In that moment, I did not know her. But immediately I assessed out of my jealousy. I was like, I don't like her. Right. I don't think I like her. But it was really was I was jealous of her. But the Holy Spirit said to me, I want you to go over to her and I want you to pray for her and I want you to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on her and to Mm -hmm. preach like she's never preached before. Jamie, there was no part of me that wanted to do that, but I did it. And I want to tell you something, something broke off of me that day. And I thought, oh, this is the strategy. So when I feel jealous and I begin to feel critical, I go and I do something about it. Now, will I tell you this? walking over to her to pray over her when she didn't even know me from Adam and probably didn't even want me to pray over her. It felt like I was walking the plank. Yeah. Right. It felt Mm -hmm. like I was walking to my death. But the minute I stuck my hand on her shoulder and began to pray, Mm. something broke off of me and I became also empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I preached that day Mm. like I've never preached before. That's what happens. So what I will tell you is it will break things off of you. It will also gift you differently. You know, I have felt that same things before. And I remember one time, I think I wrote this in one of my books, and I said, uh, it's really hard for me to be jealous and envious of someone when I become their biggest cheerleader. Yes. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'll use the two of us, for example. Yeah. Like, let's say I was jealous of you. Yeah. For What would feed that jealousy would be to, to not be for you, to remove myself from your life, yep. to kind of put a guard up. But what would happen to my own heart if I began to cheer for you and yeah. cheer for you in ways of like send you an encouraging email, yes. like talk to you about something I love in your book. It changes your heart and your posture yes. when you become for somebody instead of pulling back because you're scared of them, which is what you did in that example. Yes. You know, what's even interesting as you were saying that I was thinking about your podcast. I was thinking about my podcast. I think it's changed me. I didn't know that was maybe a strategy of God for me, but I think so investing in other people's work Mm. and talking to them and asking them questions, it's made me more excited about other people's work. So maybe even on a practical level, if someone feels jealous right now, look at what other people are doing and get involved in their work. Mm. Because not only is it beautiful, Jamie, but it, it makes you excited about what 
other people are mm-hmm. doing. I can't reach people that you can reach. I can't reach what someone in Nebraska in her community can do. But yeah. gosh, I'm for her. Yeah. Because I need someone else to be over there yeah. doing that, you yeah. know? And on a practical, like, reality space. Did you ever see that movie Reality Bites? Yeah, but it's been years. It's and been I'm years, terrible too, and I just thought of it when movies. I said Reality Space. I was like, yeah. Reality Bites? Yeah. Uh, Winona writer, I think. Um, Ooh, good. <laughs> You're random. Your memory is awesome. <laughs> and they Mine's sing that terrible. song in the convenience store. Somebody is remembering right now yeah. with me. And they want to tell you what the song is. <laughs> yes, and yes, yes. But the, also, I think feel this happens as well as you get into someone's space and you start cheering for them and you also see like oh it's different than I thought yeah she struggles too oh this is hard for her as well man I looked at her life and thought everything was perfect yeah and now that I'm for her now that I'm in the space with her I can see that I have struggles she has struggles it may be different but that like fantasy life that I was imagining is actually not true Yes. And the only way you figure out that that's not true is that you enter into that space with them, which, man, this is a whole other conversation about how Instagram makes that downright impossible. Yes. Yes. And I have feelings about people trying to enter into that life when they don't know it. I mean, it's just a whole thing with Instagram. Yes. You have to guard yourself from that as well Mm -hmm. as not looking at someone's feed and thinking this is their real life. Yes. Because PSA, everyone, that is not their real life. No. That is your Instagram life. Right. It is a whole thing. And the whole thing is so difficult. Instagram makes it crazy hard. I have feelings too. That is a whole different show. It's a whole other show. That's a whole other show. We don't even but, do that. But jealousy and those feelings are real. I want to validate that. You want to validate that for women. It's not that we should feel shame in that. It's we need to do something with it. We don't have to settle for it. We don't have to sit in it. There are things we can do. And I'm living proof of that. Acknowledge it. You have to acknowledge it before you can work on it. Yeah. And so acknowledge that jealousy. Yeah. Another thing you talk about is finding joy in the waiting. Man, I loved this when you said this. You said it is for our good not to use our eyes to gauge how well we are doing. And you had been talking about Peter walking on the water and then falling in when he took his eyes off Jesus. And you said the storms of life will blind us to the power of God every single time. Believe your Bible, not your eyesight. Hmm. Believe what he says to be true. And, you know, you go on and then you give this kind of equation that says circumstances plus negative assumptions equals faulty conclusions. And you give a lot of, you know, examples that I was like, oh, my gosh, this is my life. You know, your leg hurts. You have a blood clot. You know, I had bad luck in the past in this area. I doubt anything else is going to happen. You know, uh, they never texted me back. I must have done something. You just do all of these things. Yeah. And you're not, you're missing out the joy in the waiting. But I want to talk, I want you to talk about most this whole, believe your Bible, not your eyesight. Yeah, that was really important for me, Jamie, because that was one of those moments with the Lord where I realized at some point that I was too dependent on something in the natural, Mm. my eyesight. Yeah. And the Lord really... And when you say eyesight... Like, you mean not your physical eyesight? Yeah, but I mean, in a way, I mean, like, I was looking around. Okay, gotcha. And I was, like, gauging how I was doing based on the 10 things I saw around me. Mm-hmm. And I was taking cues off how I was going to be, how my life was, if I was okay or not. And it was all based on something physical, mm. my eyesight, in the spiritual Eyesight is not required. In fact, it hinders it. Mm -hmm. Think about it. I mean, the example of Peter, yes. Mm -hmm. 
but also in our own life, if we really believed what the Bible said about how this is going to turn out, mm-hmm. the good, at the, the end. good, mm-hmm. then we would live differently mm. to a degree. The problem is that we live with what we know, with what we see. And when we look at the 10 things around us and we see them, I mean, the news, and I'm not a proponent for burying your head in the sand. You know, I live in major reality. I'm an eight Enneagram. Mm -hmm. I face things head on. But I also know that there has to come a point where the engagement of our faith is bigger than our physical eyesight. Mm. And we say, I believe what the Bible says. And that's how I'm going to live. And the important thing about this equation of circumstances and negative assumptions equals faulty conclusions. I mean, look, you're a six Enneagram. So, of course, you love that part about the blood clot. (laughs) Yeah, right. But I mean, the truth is we make these conclusions based on these negative assumptions. And I can go negative in a hurry, too. Mm -hmm. We live our life in that cycle and... That causes us so much internal angst every single day of our life. Mm. And I'm not saying that stuff's not real. I mean, we do live with a lot of real hard things. But God knew that we would be in this place. It's not like 2021 is a surprise to him. Right. Right? Right. So if he's left us here, if we're here, we're facing all of these things. There is a way, and based on scripture, we know this, to live with these God-given feelings that are very real. We have the physical eyesight. He also gave us that. But live in a way that we have an eternal perspective Mm -hmm. that is different from non-believers. Otherwise, why do we have God? Mm -hmm. Why do we believe in God? Why do we say we have faith? Do we? Mm -hmm. And so that challenges me every single day. I'm saying this not as a preacher standing on a stage. I'm saying this as a believer who has to believe this, Jamie, or I can't live in this world. Mm. You know? I think it was Jessica Thompson who told me this quote from, I think it's from Jonathan Edwards. I'll butcher it real big right now, but something about stamp eternity on my eyeballs. Yes. So that this is the lens that I'm looking through life through. And, and you know, you're also talking here about loss. And I appreciated how you brought your friend into that chapter yeah. as well. Uh, you brought a friend in who has lost not only her dad, but also one of her sons. And that idea can get so many people hung up on where is the good mm. in this. And that stamping, turning their eyeballs is, man, has to be a spiritual discipline of just seeing things through a different lens. And like you said, it's not just our physical eyesight, but it is our spiritual eyesight and relationship and trusting God to be true. That lost chapter. Oh, I thought long and hard about that chapter. I prayed long and hard because you know why? Because I want to honor people so much in that in loss, because like you, I've heard so many stories of the deepest grief on the face of this earth. Mm -hmm. And I know that I don't know. And I'm telling you, I just, in fact, I feared that chapter. I wrestled with that chapter because I thought, man, I don't know if I'm capable of this. I don't know if I'm capable to write this because how do you write about loss in a chapter when you are a mother who has lost a child and your prayers are groanings? Mm -hmm. 
Like I, I hold that so dear. Yeah. So I knew I had to bring Beth in because I knew I didn't know that particular loss and I wasn't even going to try. Mm. So her input was so important. I also knew that that chapter needed to be, be about making peace with your life because your life has gone rogue. Mm-hmm. That's the way I, I felt like I should frame it because just in talking with people over and over again, that's to me what they've expressed is like my life has gone rogue. And I've got to make peace with this life that I'm still living. But I've lost something that makes me feel like I'm not completely alive. Mm. And I've I've lost a limb or not. That doesn't even say it big enough either. Mm. But that's how Beth expressed it as well. I'll just say this, that for me, even in losing my dad, and I talk in that chapter about, and it was from a reference from another book, the the loss of a parent, the loss of a spouse, and the loss that of... so good. Yeah, and I did. I thought that was so good, too. It's from someone else's book that Beth introduced me to, that you can bring that up in the book, because I don't remember exactly. I don't want to butcher that. I'll say it right here. Yeah. You say, the loss of a parent, Beth explained, is a loss of our past. The loss of a spouse is a loss of our present, and the loss of a child is the loss of our future. Mm. And that's from Gerald Sitzer's book. Gerald Sitzer's book, A Grace Disguised. Yes. So that's a great book, I think, for anyone that's going through mm-hmm. uh, grief. But I thought it really put it in reference yeah, it for did, me. Yeah, it for me too. But what I was going to say was about the eternity thing is it has given me so much relief and even comfort every day when I miss my dad to think of the fact that he's living his best life. Mm. And to remind myself that this is not the good life here. It's not the good life. I mean, I think we're feeling think it a it lot. Oh, well, yeah. We're <laughs> feeling it a lot. Like, is this it? Yeah. Thank God it's not it. Yeah. This is not the good life. We're attached down here because it's all we know. It's all we see. It's all we feel. Like, we love our family. We love, you know, a 70-degree day. We love good food. It doesn't even compare to what the good life is going to be. Yeah. And so it helps me to remember that we're not at the good life yet. Yeah. And that eternity is super important to remember. You know, one thing you also touched on in that chapter, which I thought was really great, especially for, you know, people who might be trying to be these super Christians, or maybe even people who are questioning their faith is is you said that God is not afraid of your why. Oh, and somewhere along the way, I feel like sometimes I don't want to speak as the church in a whole, you and I both have an, an adoration and a love for God's church. Yes. But I do think sometimes we have kind of bought this idea that we don't get to ask why. Yeah. We just have to blindly trust. And that there is some truth to that blind trust. It's called faith. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we believe in things we cannot see. But then there's this idea that is God really like upstairs? Uh, upstairs, that's another like weird thing to think about. But is God really going, I can't believe you're asking me why? <laughs> yeah. You know, when I really thought I've got to address this is when Beth said in her portion that I think it was when her father died that that was the first time she realized she could ask God why Mm. she was. And I went back to see what year that was. And I realized she was in her thirties and it made me sad because I real I thought to myself, you know, for her to have been in her thirties before she ever realized she could ask God why I don't want one person to go one day longer Mm. thinking they can't ask God why. So I say in there, I know you don't need my permission, but if you've never been told that before, be told that now. Because for those of us who realized that at some point, I think we can kind of all remember the day because it's a remarkable day when you realize for the first time, oh, it's okay to ask him why. It's not irreverent. And I'm big on the reverence of God. So this is coming from that space. 
but uh, we can ask God why. Why do we think that we can't? I don't know. I think it's because I think some of it is a I choose to believe the best in us. And I think some of it is a noble desire to treat him wholly. Mm-hmm. I certainly feel that and mm-hmm. to some regard. That kind of is where I came from at some point. It's like God is God. Yeah. And I want to accept that. I appreciate that. But I think the same point in time, the preciousness of God and the, the fathering of God and the relatability of God We've got to bring that in and marry that with the holiness of God. Mm. And to have that full and beautiful approach is what makes God so irresistible Mm -hmm. and someone that I've never been able to quit, you know? And so I think it's important if we don't believe that we can ask God why, Jamie, man, we go through our life just really, really stifled and not connected to him. And so I think some of it's the way we've been taught or we've at least perceived that. Mm -hmm. I don't know that anyone has always just said, you can't ask God why, but it's a perception. Maybe if we've been brought up in a really staunch Mm -hmm. um, religious background. And so who knows? I mean, we pick up stuff all the time, ideas about Mm -hmm. God, you know? I think when I was reading about that and even listening to you talk about it here, I had two different thoughts about asking God why. One would be coming to him with this like kind of, daddy-like love of just Mm. why and not necessarily expecting an answer but just expecting love yes and comfort so good and i'm with you yes and then there's another way of coming and it's a why with the demand Mm. yeah of why and i demand and deserve to be told and understand and your entire i mean we already discussed this of like living with things that you don't know right (laughs) you know what i mean and so i think those are two things ways that I've seen myself approach God in mm. asking him why of one is like I'm asking you why because I'm pissed off yeah. and I need an answer yeah or I'm asking you why because I just want you to love me and tell me I'm gonna be okay mm, that's so good and that first one feels very relational yes and the second one feels very transactional that's a good distinction also that second one doesn't typically work for me <laughs> well I mean God does not <laughs> owe us that he is God let's remember that reverence you right. know what I mean like, right so right and it, it just I mean I don't know. In general, it's, you know, my heart is in such a weird place when I'm in that demanding space with God yeah. that that why is never actually fulfilling. You know what I mean? Like what I can, and believe me, I can come feisty. I feel like a little girl throwing a temper tantrum. Right. Well, and it, just think of your own parent, like if your own parents, right? So sometimes when you really need your parents, and you've needed your parents and whether they've been, you know, been that for you or not, you know, you've needed to curl up in their lap and mm-hmm. say why, even if they didn't answer, yeah. even if they didn't have an answer, That's right. you've just needed that curling up in their lap. So and true. so, yeah, that yeah. was a good distinction, Jamie Ivy. Well, thank you. <laughs> in the second print of this, you can add me. Okay, in. I will. I'm going <laughs> to reference that. Yeah. One thing I love about you is you always have a purpose in writing your books. Like you're like, this is, I feel like this is what God's given me right now as a need to say to the church. And this entire book is that, but you talk pretty specifically in here in one chapter about facing tough conversations and uncomfortable truths. Yeah. And you talk about it with the church. And when you and I say that, we don't mean the church that you attend, but like the global church as a whole, like here are some things that the church needs to have conversations about you say if we're willing to be vulnerable and honest even when it hurts we'll be unafraid to talk about anything right Whew. okay this is where the heart of this leads to good we become more secure and confident and less apt to fight others out of our own insecurities and fears even when people act foolish or out of turn and you talk about this with the church and silencing your fear and not silencing people and you talk about it with the church 
Yeah. Tell me your feelings. <laughs> Talk about it. Uh huh. This is one of the reasons I think you and I are such good friends is because you do this. I and underlined everything in this book. I'm sure that you said the church needs to talk about. I'm sure. No, I mean, seriously, though, it's such an important thing right now. And in that chapter, I talk about how to have a tough conversation. So I don't leave us high and dry. I need everyone to know that. I, Jamie, this is another one of those moments where I felt like I wanted to share from my own experience because, again, you know, Lisa can get very feisty, but also the real point in this is us getting somewhere Mm -hmm. and us having important conversations that produce things that have changed so that people can come to know Christ. I mean, again, pragmatism, there's a means to an end here. It's called Jesus. Mm -hmm. It's called letting people know. You're saying we're not just talking to talk. We're not just talking to talk. And also, I think that I would love to see believers become more confident in their conversations so that it's not so combative because I think that we get combative when we're not confident. That is the belief system that I have. Can you say that one more time for the people in the back? Yeah. And listen, I speak from experience. I think the times that I've been the most combative is when I have not felt confident and I've thought, I've got to convince you of this because you're not hearing me or you're not. Part of it's my age. I've grown up. But and listen, you know, I ate Enneagram. I'm a justice driven person. I will fight all day long for the things I believe in. But I've become able to sit in a space and sit in confidence in what God has told me to say. And sometimes I've been able to sit quietly, which is a miracle of God, because I've known that it was right. Not Lisa was right, but the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit told me to say was right. That's kind of new for me. Mm -hmm. So it's exciting. But that's where hard conversations can go when we are confident in our, you know, stand with the Lord and we're not feeling combative because combativeness, the last time I checked, does not work for the church. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't. And it's not one of the things that the church should be known for. Absolutely not. I mean, you know, t- Paul talks all about the unity and, and we talk about the spiritual gifts and fruit of the spirit and all the things. And it's just not on the list. It's not on any list. No. And I'm so grieved because, listen, you and I both know this because we've had the benefit of seeing amazing people in the church. I mean, I've lived long enough to hear story after story, to have seen people, to have known people that... What I want us to be known for is in those moments, I want people to say, of course, the church is here. Of Mm. course, they're on the front lines. Of course, they're picking people up. Of course, they're serving. That's what I want. That's what you want. Rather than, of course, it was them that turned people off. Mm. Of course, it was them who, you know, and, and I think I want the good stories known. I want the beauty known. And we've got to get out of our own way if we're going to do that. And one of the things that we can't be known for is being afraid and ducking hard conversations. Right. Because then we're we're deemed irrelevant. We're deemed irrelevant and afraid and possibly something to hide. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Jamie, I don't want to be known for that. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I like here, too, when you talk about, like, sharing these hard conversations. They're hard. And, you know, we don't want to be combative. And you said sharing hard truth isn't the same as a rant. No. It's not the same as a rant. And we can get ranty. Mm -hmm. I can get ranty. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we have to know the difference. That's called wisdom, Holy Spirit. You say we get into problems when we give into victim culture. Yeah. And we can do that in a heartbeat as well. The need to be popular will compromise something eventually. 
that is one of the big things we got to get out of the way right up front. We oh, everyone just needs to go buy this book. It's so good. Oh my gosh. <laughs> have all it's all bookmarked and all the things. We dive into a lot. The thing is is that these are the things. I want to say it again that yes are hard, but they aren't hard without good. So that's why I want people to know these are the reasons why these made the list because these are the things that have changed me profoundly to sit in the hard and the uncomfortable process of letting God chisel me through them. I've watched God do this with other people. These are the things that are the most crucial for the body of Christ Mm. right now if we are going to be the most kingdom usable while we're still here. And that's what I want because we're going to see Jesus. We're going to face him. He knows about our heart. He knows about our pain. He's tender to that. And yet he still has us here to do something and for our life to matter and for us to be able to see the good. And that's the whole reason for this book and the Bible study, which honestly informed the book, Jamie, Mm. because I was having my quiet time reading about King Saul and first Samuel. And that's why I even wrote the book. I love it. Well, I'm going to ask you about usability and purpose and availability. And we're gonna put that over on YouTube. Okay, so I'm gonna do that there. I love it. Lisa, I would love to hear what are you loving? And what are you reading? Gosh, what am I loving? And what am I I love these questions. Mm -hmm. And every time I feel like am I ready for it? Yes, I am. This time I'm actually ready. I'm loving my pillow slides. You know, those pillow slides that are very in, you should know this because you have teenagers. Well, you will now. I I need to send you some. Okay. They're, they're like pillow slides and I think they're pool slippers, but like kids will wear them out. Slides. Slides. Like shoes. Shoes. Sorry. I know slides, but when you said pillow, I thought it was something that slid over my pillow. Okay. So yes. I'm with you now. Yes. Pillow slides like that you wear on your feet. Yes. Slides. Slippers. Okay. I love them. I got them from Amazon. Actually, my daughter ordered them for college for shower shoes, but I ordered them because I thought they were cute. You know, I go a little rogue with fashion and it is, they're like canary yellow, super cute, and they're super comfortable. So you get those off Amazon. Let me tell you also about Lisa Whittle. She just said she's going to send me some. I guarantee you they'll be on my doorstep (laughs) in about seven days because you have sent me shoes before. Yes, I have. Uh You have sent me bath stuff before that I still use that bubble bath in my bathtub. And the cup thing. Oh, you have sent me all the in the cup thing for when guests come over. <laughs> you and I had dinner last night. You showed up with new pajamas for me. I'm that a gift I person. Love. I'm glad you love them. I wore them last night. Yeah. I'm a gift person. I like to give gifts. I don't care about receiving them. I don't know what that means, but like well, I look. good because I'm terrible at giving them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't expect them. I just like to give them. If someone notices something that they like, I like to give it to them. It's just a friend thing. I'm loving my new initial necklace that's got all my family's initial. I added my new daughter-in-law's initial. <gasps> you know what? I sat at dinner last night. You were trying to figure out who it was? And you know what I thought? I mean, I just totally was like, oh, I wonder, this is hello Enneagram 6. I was yeah. like, oh, I wonder if she lost a child that I don't know about. I mean, oh. that's literally where I went instead of your new daughter-in-law I thought maybe she had a a late I mean I haven't known you that long your kids are grown what if this happened 20 years ago of course that's what I thought were you afraid to ask me we've been friends long enough no I we were literally eating dinner right and I had that thought and it went away and then went away no it's my daughter-in-law got it I added her and then I got a thing in my FabFitFun box and this is not an ad yeah but it's like a skincare thing called Sensuals okay yeah Yeah. sounds risque but it's not it's like in a dropper thing and you rub it on after you wash your face and it smells divine and I'm not really a skincare person I'm a bar soap like been doing that forever so but you love makeup because you used to love makeup work at a 
Clinique stand. Yes, I did. Thank you. Yep. So yeah. And reading. Yeah. What are you reading? Gentle and Lonely, Finally. Lonely. Lowly. Not lonely. Gentle and Lowly. Yes. Dane Ortland. Yes. Finally. And um, tell me your thoughts because I loved it. I'm not far enough into it to tell you my thoughts. I'm well, just let me tell starting. you this. You will love it. I know I will. I know. You are one of the ones that influenced me to buy it. Tim Keller Preaching which is a totally different kind of book. I like to read varieties of Mm -hmm. things at the same time. And then Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, Dr. Mm -hmm. Carolyn Leaf, which is amazing too. Totally different kinds of books. But I like to do that. The only thing I'm not great at is fiction. We've talked about this Mm. before, I think. I want to read fiction. Me too. I just don't know which fiction books to read. I've had this book at my house forever, and they're about to have a show on Netflix or something, Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh, so that kind of spurred in me. That's yes. what I'm going to start next because I want to, if it's going to be a show and it was first a book, yeah. I want to read the book first. Yes. Because yes. I did that with Agreed. another book and did not like the show. I want to be set up. I love memoirs. Oh, I do too. So I'm reading Crying in H Mart. Oh. Michelle is her name. And I cannot remember her last name, but she is a singer by the name of Japanese Breakfast. I'm so old and lame. I really think that's what it I is. I can't help you at all. I know. Me neither. It is so good. It's really good. I want to read it. Her journey with her mom and her mom passes away. And Mm. it's just, it's really, I'm really, really loving it. I love memoirs. People send in all the memoir recommendations because I will read them all day long. It's my favorite. Me too. Me too. And I feel like we don't have enough memoirs in the world. So I would love a really good memoir. Those are bar none my favorite. I'm reading Crying at H. Martin. I love it. Okay, good. Lisa Whittle. Love you. I love you. I'm really proud of this book. Thank you. This book, it is heartfelt. It has your heart all over it, which I said already. But it is what we need to know. Mm. We need to know that eternity matters and it's coming and that there can be good from our heart. And even need to know that like we might not even know what that good is. Right. You know? And so you have lived this and walked this. And you guys, you may not know Lissa, so you may not believe me. But you can believe me if you've been listening to this podcast for a long time. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> Lisa's the real deal. Lisa, yeah. thanks for coming on. Thank you. Okay, friends, I told you that you would love it. You loved her, didn't you? And I love all the things she's loving and what she's reading. And man, if you have a great memoir that you love, Lisa and I would love to know what it is that you're loving these days from a great memoir. Guys, don't forget, you've got six days until Lisa's book comes out, The Hard Good. And if you want to go ahead and read that first chapter for free, just go to lisawittle.com slash good. And while you're at it, don't forget, God made you to be you. My new children's book comes out October 5th, and you can get more information about that by going to jamieivy.com slash kids. You guys, I hope that you have a wonderful first day of September, a wonderful Wednesday. Come back here on Friday for another great show. And then listen, this weekend, you'll find me down in downtown Austin cheering on my Texas Longhorns. I'm so excited about what September holds. Guys, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for listening to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. We are truly grateful for every single story that we get to share with you, every encouragement we get to bring to you, and every opportunity we get to point us all to Jesus. If you're loving this show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a rating and or review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, tell your friends. That is actually the number one way that people find out about our show because you tell them. Join us right here every Wednesday and Friday for meaningful conversations that make us think, make us laugh, and point us to Jesus. Also, come find me on other places around the internet as well. I love Instagram. I'm at Jamie Ivy, And we've been having some fun posting videos on YouTube as well. Sometimes you wish you could see the person I'm interviewing. Well, come over and find us there and you can. JamieIvy.com slash YouTube. 
The Happy Hour is produced by Lindsay Sweeney. Show notes are written by Abigail Castell. Graphics by Rachel Ray. The show is edited by the team at Podshaper. And I'm your host, Jamie. And I love every single week that I get to be here with you guys. Until next time, have a happy hour with a friend. Thank you.